And welcome back to the, another episode of the Swan Dingo Files. Today I have Ryan Finnegan, another fe- fellow veteran, and he wants to be on the show where the dango ate your baby. How's it going today, Ryan? Good. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm glad you came on. I know uh, we're all busy. We're all tired. <laughs> I just want to go to sleep. No, I'm just kidding. But long week, busy day, and I just hope uh, I hope your day is a little bit better than mine. Yeah, you know, it's, uh, we're in Eastern Washington, so it isn't, uh, it isn't snowing, which is good, uh, but it is still cold. So we're, we're making it. I don't envy you. I'm in Texas and I mean, it's a little chilly today, but I mean, I'll, I'll take, what was it like 50 degrees today over whatever you're 72. <laughs> no, it, it was 90s just a couple of days ago and then it dropped down to like 40s. It's like, I can't stand this. I can't do this no more. <laughs> Bipolar weather, but. But today we're going to go over uh, why you joined, uh, your, your uh, military service a little bit, and your transition out. And I know you're helping veterans in great ways, and I we just want to hear about it. So if you can begin, uh, why did you join the military? Um, so I joined the uh, Marine Corps in 1995. Um, I actually wasn't going to go in the service uh, being 6'5 and from Indiana, we always say, like, if you can't play basketball, they make you move to Montana. And, uh, you know, so I was every time the recruiter called, I'm like, you know, playing basketball, playing basketball. And um, I'd gotten a couple of smaller offers, but college really wasn't my thing. And um, so, so I went to the recruiter's office with a buddy of mine in the Navy, and he wanted me to join on the buddy program. And, like, the Navy recruiter, I was like, man, something don't feel right. And I was like, I don't want to do the Air Force. And I was like, my brother was two tours in the Army. And I was like, yeah, I ain't doing that. And I was like, what's this Marine Corps place? And, uh, you know, within three weeks, I uh, I learned about them, joined, and then, you know, went to Marine Corps Recruit Depot in San Diego and, you know, spent the next uh, just under seven and a half years in. Uh, started out at Cherry Point, North Carolina, and then uh was able to go over to, to Bahrain, um, did a year there on security force company. And then my last three and a half years at second Marine division at Camp Lejeune, uh, on the field side. And then, uh, got out at the end of O2. My, uh, my ex-wife was active duty. So she re-enlisted and everybody's like, what are you going to do? Like, you're going to go to school. The proverbial, like, you're going to work for your cousin, you know, making a thousand dollars a month. And, and uh, I was like, nope, I'm getting my my Dependa ID card, and I'm going to sit around base housing and do nothing. So, uh, so I did that for like three months, and I realized like this this house dad, like you know, stay at home dad thing wasn't for me. So, um, actually, my transition didn't come when I first got out because we moved from North Carolina to San Diego, and I worked. Uh, for three and a half years for the Navy on a force protection, anti-terrorism, weapons and tactics, uh, contract. And then left there, went to work for the Army doing some anti-terrorism stuff. And then back to the Marine Corps, started out as a contractor, first Marine Expeditionary Force. Actually, General Mattis was my first big boss when he was a three stars, the MEF commander. Uh, and then Transitioned over into civil service and worked for, which is now the first Raider Battalion, 
uh, the Marine Special Operations Command is their civilian anti-terrorism guide. And I realized that I hadn't been paid by the Air Force. So got a, got a job working for the Air Force for the next eight years. Um, and then eventually resigned from federal service in 2018. We moved from California to, to the Spokane area. And that was really, that was the transition when I was like, why is everybody struggle with transition? It's, it's pretty easy. You just get out and get a job. But, you know, for that 15 years or so, I worked around veterans and active duty. So to me, I was like, I don't know why all these people are bitching about like this transition. Like it's, it's not that hard, fellas. Like, you know, until I moved in a whole new area where I didn't know people and I didn't have that daily contact that it was like months that I've just struggled with the depression I've already got and the anxiety. And I had a business doing weapons and tactics and anti-terrorism stuff and uh, active shooter, and, you know, so that kept me busy, but I just couldn't figure out why I was, I was just stuck. And then it hit me. I was like, oh, so this is the transition. And I think once I realized that, while it didn't make it any easier, I was able to address that more than just kind of walking around like, well, this, this sucks. Like I have no one to talk to. Like I don't, I don't laugh. I don't get to tell jokes that are dark and people laugh at them. I get looked at like, dude, what's your problem? <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. I, you know, what's funny is when I, when I got out uh, from, I left Fort Polk and went back home. And you're no longer around the military buddies who you can joke, laugh about anything about. It doesn't matter. It's like it's it's fair game. It's open season on jokes and bragging on each other, stuff like that. Go back home, even though it's family. You know, you tell some of your jokes. They're like, "What the fuck are you talking about?" <laughs> it's like, how do you not get? Oh, so you got to really tailor your everything. Your whole lifestyle has to tailor when you're away from the like. Military to contract to military contractor, yeah, that's a transition, but it's you're still in that realm, kind of. But when you go around a whole another sector of people, it's it's different. It, it's I I can see a lot of oh I saw a lot of the challenges even with my own older brother, and it's just like, man, how do you not get this stuff? Are you stupid? Mm-hmm. Oh wait, no, you just don't understand it. Never mind. That's us. Well, I think that was a lot of. Um, part of my struggle was I didn't go get connected. Like I didn't, I wasn't volunteering. I didn't go to like a service organization, whether it was VFW or Legion, because um, having spent 20 years as an alcoholic and six and a half years clean now, like I avoided a lot of, a lot of those organizations because it was like, well, I don't want to go be around just people that are drinking so that I could be around people because to me that's self-torture. Um, and so I found a lot of times when I, I lost that sense of purpose of doing something I felt was important, even if it was just, I probably should have looking back now is went to the food bank and just volunteered an hour or two a month, you know, because every time we did it, like I always felt good. And I was like, yeah, I need to do it again. And then I kind of go back in my slump of not wanting to deal with people, um, you know, so I, I think that was kind of the 
biggest lesson learned that I took away that I still do now. Like, you know, I volunteered at our VFW and, and they bought, you know, some good non-alcoholic, non-alcoholic drinks for me. So, um, so I got a whiskey down there. I got an IPA, you know, the traditional Heineken. Um, but I found though that is really the, the biggest piece that I was missing. And I think a lot of veterans missing that transition struggle is, you know, like I don't have anybody. I'll go online. I'll, you know, you know, I'll show my dark sense of humor and, but I won't talk to anyone. I'll just kind of be a hermit, stay at home. Yeah, that's definitely, I, I think that's something that we're missing is that connection of like-minded people. And it, it is tough to get, um, find those people out here. And unfortunately, uh, especially in the civilian world, but I mean, I just started this not too long ago and I'm finding that it's very easy to talk to other veterans and they're very easy to connect with. And if we can just get that word out there that, Hey, they're out there to connect with, uh, whether it's through podcast or just, you know, chatting with them one-on-one. Um, I mean, they're there. I mean, they're more, veterans are more than willing to talk and there's some out there that specialize in it more and are willing to get you into the network. So, it's been it's been quite a journey for I think like three weeks now we've been doing this and I don't even, I, I lost count how many we've done now I know we've been, we've been killing it so yeah and I think that's the the important part is to not only find even if it's not veterans if you're in a a smaller city that doesn't have a lot there's usually organizations that that want to help veterans or if you look at like Team Red White and Blue you know they combine which I don't run. I don't even, I wouldn't even run from a bear. I'd just stand and fight and get mauled. But you I'm take, not, I'm not running. Yeah. You take the civilian counterparts and, you know, that veteran military community and they've just found that people that want to help and they're out there. So whether it's, and it's kind of like going to a therapist. I was able to stay away from a therapist forever. Because I was like, no, no, I ain't going to see it, uh, a non-vet. They don't know shit. And, and that was good. Like that allowed me to continue to drink, not deal with my issues. Um, and then I finally, after my like second DUI charge in five years, um, and instead of quitting drinking, like I doubled and tripled the amount. Like at that point, I didn't give a shit if I was dead or alive. Um, that I found a therapist that was a non-vet that I completely owe any success in life to from 2015 to present. Um, you know, it, so every time I talk to a vet, it's always the same thing. Like, well, if it ain't a vet, okay, well, sometimes maybe you don't want a vet. You need a different perspective. And uh, I mean, there was times like, I don't, I don't hold back. Like I'd have her blush. Like, uh, it's probably, uh, probably a little too raw, you know, um, but I was like, it's my therapy. <laughs> I'm, I'm paying for this. <laughs> uh, and it's funny you said that because, uh, there's only been one therapist and she was non-military. Uh, she was through the VA, but still non-military. And, uh, she's actually from, uh, she wasn't from, but her family was from Pakistan. And, uh, we were talking and actually got a connection with her. And the only reason why it fell out because she had to take three weeks off to travel. 
And so I had nobody for three weeks. Like we were talking for a long time and she was so easy to talk to and give feedback. And I'd actually quit drinking for like four days straight. And then she had to take vacation and rightfully so. I, I get it. But those three weeks, there was like nobody to just, I want to talk to. So, and then by the time she came back, it's like, I, I don't even want to do this now. So I felt, I fell back into depression a little bit then too. So I, I get what you're saying. I think that's the biggest part is people will try one and never like, ah, this shit ain't for me. Like once you find a right, like it was the same way. I moved up here, got one through the VA and nothing wrong with her. Um, we just didn't connect. So everything was very surface level. And finally, you know, COVID hit and I was like, I'm not doing this online thing. I'm an in-person type. And I probably went a year and a half. And then finally, I was like, okay, I need to get back in. But I need someone new. And now the guy I got, I mean, I he teaches me things, which is good. Um, you know, instead of just like, well, let me listen to you. Yeah, you sound like you're doing okay. Like, there's always golden nuggets. So I always have, like, a, you know, a, a notebook next to me. And I'll always capture something i'm like okay i need that nugget for myself and to pass that on you know kind of later on and so for all those listening that either haven't found the right one or you know use the same excuse like it's got to be a veteran to understand it doesn't you know you just need to have somebody that cares and that you connect with that because that's where the healing is the healing is when you can go into darker places and not feel ashamed or embarrassed. Um, that man, just like when you, you get it off your chest. I mean, I remember the first, the first two sessions I went with my therapist, I was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna feel her out, see how this thing goes. And I cried. I almost say like a little baby, but I freaking just wept. I mean, it was probably 12 years of guilt and shame and embarrassment. Like I, like, I got in a car. I was like, man, I'm never going back there. Like, I'm so damn embarrassed. Like, if, like, every Marine would be embarrassed because of it. <laughs> you know? But as soon as that, like, the third session, dude, that's where the healing started. And I was like, okay, I'm not alone. I'm not, a, you know, I'm, I'm not different than anyone else. Um, and shit, I mean, it's like, without it, I'd still be drinking. Uh, and I would probably been dead in a ditch by now. And I've got two kids, one's 22 and one's 14. And, and that wasn't even my driver of like, oh, I'm going to quit drinking because of this. I was going to her and, uh, and I, you know, I used to call it two for Tuesdays. I'd go for her and then like a quarter mile down the road was, uh, it's called Bravery Brewery. And one of the three owners was Arlie Ermy. And, uh, so I would stop in there and every once in a while you catch Arlie in there, you know, serving up beers and I'd have two or three or five beers and I'd go home. And that was, that was my therapy therapy. And one day I just kept driving. I was like, I'm going to go pick up some of this non-alcoholic beer. That was all she wrote. And I've uh, been, been winning the one craving at a time ever since. I'm glad to hear that because that's, that's important because, um, I know some people have already heard this, but. Um, I, and I wish he would have reached out more before he did pass, but my, uh, I have a brother-in-law 
who the only reason why I know my wife is because of him. We served in 2003-4 in Iraq and roommates out of Fort Riley. But he literally drank himself to death about two years ago now. And, you know, we tried to reach out. We tried to do all this stuff. We tried to reach out to the VA, be like, hey, admit him or something. Can we get some help? Like, unless they want it, there's nothing we can do. And I don't know. He just kind of felt like he was at a dead end. And finally, he, yeah, he drank, drank himself literally to death. I don't know how many days he was drinking, but it's just like, and now finding all these organizations and people like yourself out there, it's like, I mean, I kind of, I feel bad that I'm now finding him and I didn't do it before, but it's like, man, I should have, maybe I should try a little bit harder. So, and I don't know. He's, I mean, it can't change nothing now, but it's nice to see that all of you are out there. And it's nice to see that you're actually trying to lend a hand for people. You've all been through that, your own experiences. So I'm just glad I'm getting the network with you all because I want to help spread this word. So, yeah, and I'm sorry to hear. I mean, that's, I, I got a Marine brother of mine going through cirrhosis from drinking and, and, uh, you know, I think it's one of those things where, like, you have to get to a point where you're like, okay, I'm done. And you just hope that that point isn't a point of like, well, I'm slowly dying uh, or I'm going to jail. I mean, I was pretty sure if I didn't get that DUI changed down to a reckless driving, uh, yeah, I was going to the L.A. County Jail and uh, not not a cool place to go. Uh, or spend my weekends there for like three months. And, but it wasn't enough for me to go, okay, I'm done. I was like, fuck it. I don't care. I, you know, I'm, I'm drinking more. And then it just got to the point where I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm tired of something else controlling me. And it wasn't until I dealt with the depression and the anxiety, and the hypervigilance and a lot of the stuff I was dealing with that I was like, Oh, I'm not so scared now. Quit drinking. You know, because when you quit drinking and you got issues, like you got to deal with them. And, but I tell you, having a good therapist to be able to, to get me through that, to address a lot of the things, I would have been, I mean, I was burning through marriages, like, and it is, man, it, like, I, it's great now. My son's 22, like, when he was 16, I could have conversations about addiction and, you know, things that seem fun to start, like drinking in the barracks becomes a problem. I mean, I went to my first AA meeting, what, my first one of two, in uh, 99, you know, I admitted to my parents, like, hey, I got a problem. And I, I never went to an AA meeting only for the fact, like, it's just me. But, like, I go there and I'm like, wow. I'm not that bad. I can wait till 4.30 to get off. Like, some people, like, they're drinking at 4.30 in the morning. And it's, not, it's great. It's just not for me. For me, it's, you know, I have a few friends that I can lean on if the cravings get too bad. I've got, you know, I keep non-alcoholic beverages, which, you know, goes against the AA model of, like, hey, it's too close. Like, you'll, you know, it works for me. Uh, meetings work for a lot of people. Uh, I would just tell those that are struggling with alcohol addiction, like, 
like you can bullshit everyone and people, all your friends will tell you like, oh, you don't have a problem because they don't want you to quit drinking. They want to have a drinking buddy. It's like, if you know you've got a problem, man, you, life is so much better. It's scary. Like it took me years to stop because I was like, my life revolved around like, okay, got a party to go to for a birthday. Okay. I got to have at least three beers before I go so I can handle it for an hour or two. And then I drink the rest of the night. As I was terrified, I was like, man, I, I don't know what life looks like without one. And now I look back and I go, there's days that I want to start again. And I'm like, eh. like, I don't know what it looks like to drink again. You know, so. Yeah, I've heard that you and people that are over 20 years from being an alcoholic still get craving sometimes, but. That's crazy. Um, so the, how, how did you start for heroes by heroes? So, so I started that, um, sort of the story. Coffee. I love coffee and especially up here in the Pacific Northwest. Like you can't drive a quarter of a mile without passing 15 coffee shops. So around 2015 or so, 20, now, about 2017, my wife and I were talking, and I was, I knew I was going to resign from government service, and I said, you know what, like, I want to start a coffee shop that focuses on law enforcement, fire, medical, military, veteran communities, much like, like a BFW, just without the alcohol, a place where people can go together in a sober environment to connect and heal and just have a place to go. And, so we ended up moving up here and rented a place for like three and a half years. So then when we were looking to buy a house, there's 10 or 15 acres to be able to provide a place to do some small agriculture, you know, get some animals and just provide a place for those in that target community to go. And we ended up <laughs> on a half acre, but we're on a lake. Got a garden, got a greenhouse, got a big outbuilding. And so it was just every time it would come up, having had a failed business, I'm like, nope, nope, don't want to do it. And then at like last year for like four days straight, when I tell you it was like 95% of my thoughts, it consumed everything. And I was like, okay, maybe now's the time. So because you look at that population, it's a population of, I hate the term, like, alpha male and females but it's people that don't ask for help and they're just like me they they suffer in silence probably drink too much um and don't seek treatment because of a stigma that you know oh well if you're a cop or a firefighter and you go get help you're not fit for duty so i was like well why don't i just offer a place for you to go that's on a sober environment, you want it, if you want something that resembles alcohol, like I got a bottle of non-alcoholic whiskey, we'll have a drink. Um, and you know, we can sit on a porch and we can look at the lake and, and you have a place to go. And then, so then it kind of spawned into, you know, wanting to grow this thing to do events, um, that not only kind of serve them as far as, well, I'm not going there for my mental health. We tell people all the time, like, we're, we're not a mental health center or retreat. 
we're just a group of like-minded people that have probably dealt with some trauma type in our lives that you can go without having to say. It's kind of like when you get a bunch of veterans together, like you don't need to swap stories to go, oh, yeah, you've seen some shit. Oh, that's bad. Oh, you you saw a guy eat a freaking M16 round. Yeah, that sucks. Well, here's my story. You don't talk about it. You A lot of times, you know, you like to tell the funny stories. And um, so it just kind of grew to, I mean, I got like eight pages on here's, you know, kind of here's what I want. So I'm in the beginning stages of, of building that board. But until I get that, it's just the house is always open. Like, hey, you need a play. And we're rural out here where I live. We're 30 minutes north of Spokane. It's like, you just need to get away. I don't care if it's 3 o'clock in the morning. Get a hold of me. I'll fire up the coffee pot. And you got a brother that will just sit around and not say anything if you don't need me to. And then eventually we'll grow into not only doing, like, fun events, uh, whether it's competitions like, you know, pickleball or, you know, just whatever, going out, bring your paddleboard, kayak, whatever, we'll hit the lake. Um, it's to be able to do things to give also back the community. Because what I like to do is, like, once a month is get people together and go to the Ronald McDonald house in Spokane and cook the families a dinner. Because if you do that when you're working, you don't get that full good feeling. You get the, you know, like, take the kids out Christmas shopping. You know, they get toys they would never got. The initial response, just like any time in uniform, was I was just doing my job. Well, if you take that piece out and you actually get the feeling of like it's not part of my job. I actually went and volunteered to do this. So kind of the goal is like the whole MWR, uh, morale, welfare, relationships, and mental health, and and just drive events. Whether it's a book club, <laughs> I always call it like the Saint Your Mama's Book Club. Um, but you know, take books that will will help you connect things like mental health and healing, and some of those type of things. But a group that you can belong to, uh, and then other groups, you know, that just kind of spawn off, whether it's veterans of parents um, or parents of veterans, you know, because there's, you know, like, most parents don't understand. They don't, like, oh, Johnny's not the same. Like, okay, well, let's get those parents together so that we can bring in experts uh, that want to volunteer time that can help educate them on signs of addiction, signs of domestic violence, signs of suicide. Um, you know, get together. And I don't like to call it first responders, you know, because a lot of, a lot of groups in this great, man, they will help vets and first responders. Problem is your trauma nurses, your trauma, you know, ER docs, your, your parole guys or corrections officers, um, you know, they're not first responders, but they see death every day. Uh, so, I mean, there's about 15,000 people in our target audience. Um, when you put all of those together, like in eastern Washington, northern Idaho. And so the goal is to kind of is to to build a foundation to inspire other cities to go, hey, we want to do that. And not be like one of those groups that's like, well, figure it out. Is to give them everything, like, here's all, here's everything that I got. Here's all my thoughts. Figure out whether you're a small town that has, you know, 2,000 people in it or you're 
an LA or Chicago or whatever that has, you know, 40,000 people in your target audience and just build a program that brings people together that want to come, um, and to help. So that's, that's where the four heroes by heroes came was, I'm just going to do a coffee shop to like, now it's like, you know what? Like it grew and grew. And then, you know, the three to five year mark is to, to look to be able to hold retreats, um, you know, to connect family, connect spouses, partners, um, together so they can go there and really understand what trauma is, what trauma looks like. And so all this stuff that like, for me, I got, you know, and I'm a non-combat vet, um, but I've seen the results of people eating an M16, going to, you know, houses that you can smell death. <clears throat> I become very withdrawn. Like I'd rather just drink and sit here by myself and not say anything. And those around you, don't understand that. So the goal is to be able to, to reconnect and build, you know, relationships between family, uh, and the community. And, and I'm a firm believer that, you know, we look at a lot of like true excessive use of force. Uh, not the, are oh, you handcuffed me too tight? That's excessive use. Like the, the Rodney King style beatdowns that we see is, that's because you got a guy that's seen 700 traumatic events in a 20 year career. And it is one word. They're so wrapped tight that it is one smart ass comment away from you can't pull back that, <laughs> that career ending going to jail beat down you just did. But as if you, but if you had a place to go, uh, things to do where you could. For a minute, not have to worry. You're again, you're in a safe space, uh, but you're in a space where you can actually heal and not, you know, be looking around like, okay, what's going on? Like, let your nervous system heal. Um, you know, and pair up a, a doctor with a, a cop, you know, because most people don't realize like three to five hundred surgeons die a year by suicide. I did not know that either. Well, people don't think about it because they're like, ah, oh, they're, they're the ones that drive the nice cars. You know, there's more law enforcement and firefighters since 2017 that have died by suicide than have died in the line of duty. You know, so, but it doesn't get, you know, the notoriety. The veteran community does because it's by far the biggest. So I was like, why don't we pull all these people together that are all struggling, that are one bad day away and and give them an outlet to be able to be together where you don't have to tell stories. You don't have to say anything. Just come out, hang out, we'll grab a fishing pole. We'll go try to catch some trout. And, you know, and at least you know, okay, I got a place to go. And, you know, it's it's not turning out where I got to turn to the bottle and make a really bad decision. So that's that's where the that's where the movement started. That's nice. That's very commendable too. I, I like how you're thinking, you know, outside just a veteran community and you actually think about first responders. My wife is actually a nurse at the prison up here where we live. And of course she's seen, I know she's seen a few deaths and she thought she was responsible for one one day and stuff like that. And it's just like, I mean, it's part of the job, unfortunately, but 
I talked to a few first responders and they definitely don't get the notoriety like the veteran community does. And they're, they're fighting their PTSD claims and all this other stuff. And I know I had one that's uh, both of them have seen some pretty fu- fucked up shit. We can cuss in this show because it's mine. So fuck it. But they've both seen some fucked up shit and it's just like, how is this not out there in the public more? Like, yeah, I got, we're veterans, but I mean, we're all serving our country though. The first responder, like you said, trauma nurse, corrections officers, military, we're all serving our country just in a different, you know, realm. So yeah, they definitely need more light brought onto them also. I mean, veterans do too to try to help, you know, get that number down. Uh, but yeah, they definitely need some help getting some notoriety behind their names too. So, but, um, how do people get a hold of you? Um, well, you can go to Four Heroes by Heroes on Facebook, or that's probably the, the easiest way. Um, uh, you know, cause, um, uh, cause I, I monitor that one <laughs> along with helping vets with, you know, disability claims and, um, uh, well, I try, I like to call myself like a guidance guy, like, you know, because I've been through a lot of claims. Like you realize that most veterans are like me, like screw the VA, it's this big monster. And then when I finally got to 100, percent and I was looking back, going, well, if I'd have known like half this shit, I could have shaved off three claims. Um, so yeah, they send a message to Four Heroes by Heroes or Four Heroes by Heroes at Gmail. Uh, definitely. You know, give you a call or get a hold or, you know, just chat and see what we can do to help or inspire or, you know, I, I, I made a, uh, which I don't have with me, but I made a, a VA disability handbook. Well, it's, it's kind of, I like to call it a notebook. It's like 257 pages to be able to track like 10 disability claims at once, all your pain, all your meds, like A to give to the VA to go here. Like I'm jacked up. Um, you know, so if anybody's going through a claim, like send me a message. I'll, I'll send you the link and you can download all the sheets for free. Cause the goal is, you know, get the biggest claim early <laughs> and not, you know, like, Oh, I wish I would have known that. Like that's kind of where most of my time has gone lately is. You know, like most people give you like five minutes, like, here's what you need to do. Okay. Good luck. Like to me, I like, I'll spend an hour or two with somebody going, okay, what's wrong with you? You know, cause it's always what's wrong with you. My back. Okay. And then out of a back claim, I'm like, do you have this? Do you have this? Is this going on? Do you have this? Yeah. Okay. Well, there's six claims that you got that most people will never know about. So yeah, just send me a message through there and see what we can do to help. Well, it's nice having you on, Ryan, and I sound like you're doing great, and I really hope this all takes off really quick. I think people need to get this, need to hear this story and need to get a chance to get these ideas of stop separating, you know, people that serve, that serve our country and just bring them all together under one roof. I mean, yeah, there's no, there's no, there's no point in being separate. We've all served in one fathom or another, so. So, uh, but that's all we got time for today on the Swandingo Piles. With Ryan Finnegan, he's bringing everybody together with love.